0: All right. All right. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Fantastic. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're the best looking thing I've seen all Thanksgiving weekend. Come on, just take a moment right now and pay him, pay him three compliments. I want you to find three things to compliment about the person sitting next to you. Come on, tell them looking strong this holiday season. Looks like you've lost a little weight. Like that outfit. You sing really good. Hey, what's your phone number? Come on. <laughs> oh, it's so good to see you. A lot of things that are happening this uh, time in church life. And I thank you for taking the journey with us. And, and uh, I do want to say I'm just so grateful for Pastor David's leadership and in your cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And as God begins to just move among us, how many know it's it's always good to do what God says to do and to follow His direction and leadership. I love that about this church. This is not about a program, but this is about the presence of God. Can I have a good amen? And uh, so thank you for taking the journey with us. So many cool things that are happening. You don't want to miss a single Sunday from now to the end of the year. Uh, it's crazy how quickly this year has passed. This is the final Sunday of the month of November. We're stepping into the holiday season. Turn to your neighbor and say, Christmas is here. Come on, how many has already gotten a head start on your Christmas shopping? Yeah, how many of you were brave enough to get out on Black Friday? How many crazy Black Friday folk in the house? How many were just smart and you stayed home and you ordered online? Yes, come on, I like it, I like it. Well, I hope you ate well, I hope you rested well, I hope you had a chance to visit with family and friends, watch a little football, You know, LSU wins, Alabama loses, and all is right in the world. We're so wrong, God help us, Lord help us. Lord, help us. Well, um, again, thank you for your commitment on Sundays. I know next Sunday is a big Sunday for us, 320 Sunday. Of course, across all of our campuses, we'll be participating in the 320 offering, just believe in God for our future. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that is committed to the future, as, as grateful as we are for our past. I am more committed to my future than I am to my past. And I believe God has some great things for us as a church. Are you ready to get in the Word today? Come on, say this after me. Say, I'm here. I'm here. Not because I have to be, but because I want to be. Say, this: is not a me thing. It's not a you thing. It's a Jesus thing. Say, I'm not perfect. Turn to your neighbor and say, I know you got a few issues yourself. Oh, yes, indeed. The holidays reveal some issues. How many got crazy in your family? Anybody got crazy in your family? Got a touch of crazy in your family? Some of you couldn't decide. You're trying to think, do we have crazy? If you didn't know about crazy in your family and couldn't figure it out, you might be the crazy in your family. Come on, say, we're not perfect. But we serve the one who is. Say, I love you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. Help me not to leave. Like I came in Jesus' name. Now, if you believe that, put your 10 string instrument together today. Fantastic. I want to say, I want to welcome a good friend, uh, part of our Healing Place family, Pastor Warren Beamer's wife Faith and their girls. Would you stand all the way from Healing Place Church in San Antonio? Come on, the Alamo. Welcome back to the Bayou's, my brother. God bless you. We love you. We love you. You have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 3. And uh, we are in the sixth installment of a seven-part series called You've Got Mail. And we've identified the seven churches in the book of Revelations and the letters that God is writing to those churches. And so we are, this is number six. got six down and one to go. So don't miss next Sunday as we wrap up this series. I do apologize a little bit. I'm I'm fighting some sinus crud. How many of you, you, you deal with a little sinus stuff? Yes. Yes. Oh, man, it has not been pretty at my house. I've been coughing up some spectacular stuff. And um, yeah, I know you didn't want to know that. Uh, my, my head is full of medicine. So if I say some things that are a little off today, blame it on the mucinex and a little antibiotic, but uh, trying to get through it one service at a time. We're talking about the church at Philadelphia, the church at Philadelphia. And uh, we're not speaking of Pennsylvania or the Liberty Bell. Um, But this is a city in modern-day Turkey. Uh, Of course, in the ancient days, it was Asia Minor. But a letter that Jesus wrote to the church in Philadelphia. I always give you a little bit of history before we unpack this letter. And I think context helps us understand the text. Can I have a good amen? Amen. You know, history lessons can be boring, but when you understand history that illuminates biblical truth, I think it could really make the word come alive. And so let me give you just a little bit of background of this community. This city was established in 189 BC, almost 200 years before Christ, uh, by the king of Pergamum. And he named the city for the love of his brother, Attalus. He just loved his brother. This brother was loyal. It earned him the nickname Philadelphos which of course means one who loves his brother. Many of you know Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Uh, this community was completely destroyed 17 years after Christ. 17 AD an earthquake hit this city, the same earthquake that destroyed the city of Sardis. Many of you remember we talked about Sardis several weeks ago. Uh, but the citizens completely rebuilt the community as a uh, symbol of the resilience of the spirit of that community. They they built it back. It was sometimes referred to as little Athens. Uh, because of all of the the pagan temples and the buildings in the community. Um, This church placed here in the city of Philadelphia was under heavy religious persecution. Notice I said religious persecution. They weren't persecuted by the Roman Empire. They weren't persecuted by the world, but they were persecuted by the Jews. How many of you know that sometimes the enemy will attack you, not from without, but from within? Yeah, you expect the enemy from the outside, but sometimes some of you have have experienced a lot of wounds and pain as it relates to the church itself. This church was under religious persecution because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And so they parted from Judaism to truly follow Christ. And those who held to the law of Moses strictly looked down upon this group of believers and and punished them and persecuted them. Interesting to note, this city still exists today. Of the seven cities that we talk about and the the churches in those communities, this is one city that still exists within the walls of its original city 2,000 years ago. Now, it's got a modern name. It's not called Philadelphia. It's got a name here that I probably am not going to attempt to pronounce it. Uh, because I'll probably say something that I regret. Um, but the Turkish words mean the city of God. And so there's still a sizable Christian community in this uh, city today. So I think that's a little bit of the backstory. story. Now let's read the letter that Jesus writes to this church in Philadelphia 2,000 years ago. Revelation chapter 3, starting with verse 7. The Bible says it like this. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true. I love those adjectives describing who our God is. He is holy. He is set apart, and his words are true. How many of you know you can always trust the words of Christ? This is a message from the one who is holy and true. Notice he says this, the one who has the key of David. Everybody say key. key. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door. Somebody say door. I've opened a door for you that no one can close. I want to stop right here and give you this first thought right out of the beginning of this letter. When I read it again this week and studied, it just jumped off the page at me. I like how he uses the imagery. He talks about keys, and he talks about opening a door. Write this down. Number one, Jesus opens doors and we walk through them. Jesus opens doors, and we walk through those doors. Here's what's cool. Anytime in the scriptures when you read about keys, and we'll read a couple other verses here in just a moment, but anytime you see this picture of keys, keys always represent two things. They represent access, and they represent authority. How many know if you have the keys, you've got authority? You can open a door. In fact, sometimes people will come to me and say, oh, pastor, look, I need to get in this room. Do you have a key? And I'm like, no, I don't. But I know who does. They look at me like, wait a second. I thought you were the pastor here. Yeah, but I don't always have the keys. You know, Pops is one of the guys on staff. He's got keys to every room. If you want to get somewhere, you call Pops because Pops will give you access into a room that physically you can't get into unless you have the keys. And here's, here's the beautiful thing. Jesus says, I hold the keys. There's access that I'm giving. Now, this is a a very important reason why he's saying it to the church in Philadelphia. Because the, the religious oppression that they were receiving from the Jews, they said, listen, you don't have access to God. You're not children of Abraham. We are. We're the true children of Abraham that follows the laws of Moses. And Jesus is telling this small group of Christian believers in this city, I've got keys. And when I have keys, I can open doors that no man can shut. Can I tell you this? When God opens a door in your life, it doesn't matter what man says, what man does, the opposition in front of you, trial, tribulation, persecution. It doesn't matter the attempt of the enemy. When God opens the door, that door stays open. And some of you, and I read this, I thought, oh, Lord, this is a word for somebody today. Because some of you are believing God to open doors in your life. Listen, when you have keys, you don't need to force doors to open i gonna tell you this, what I've learned in life is when you force things, you frustrate things. Some of you are trying to force some things to open in your life. And God's saying, you don't have to fight. You don't have to struggle. Look to me. I have the keys. And when I have a key, I'll open a door that physically you couldn't get in apart from my help. But because you know me, I have authority and I'll give you access. You can enter in to the future that I have for you. I thought this was such a great picture. I I love the scripture in Isaiah 22, and this is kind of a reference taken from that very verse. Isaiah 22, verse 22, the Bible says this, And I will give him the key to the house of David, the highest position in the royal court. When he opens doors, no one will be able to close them. When he closes doors, no one will be able to open them. I think there are keys, and, and Jesus wants us to understand the keys to the kingdom of heaven. In fact, I remember uh, several weeks ago when I was in Israel, we went to the northern portion of Israel up near the Golan Heights in a community called Caesarea Philippi. And at Caesarea Philippi is where we read the account in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus began to talk to his disciples and he says, who do men say that I am? And they were confused, remember? Well, some say that you're Elijah, some say that you're you're Jeremiah, you're one of the prophets, you're John the Baptist. Well, then he says, who do you say that I am? And then Peter steps up and he says, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Remember that? He he makes this this dramatic confession of who Jesus is. Now, Caesarea Philippi is right there on this huge rock. And Jesus looks at, at Simon and he says, no longer will they call you Simon, but from now on, your name is Peter or Petros, which means little rock. And then he said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is powerful. Then he says, behold, I'm giving to you, Matthew 16, 19. Behold, I'm giving to you this day, what? The keys. He says, I'm giving to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be what? Notice the connection between heaven and earth. I'm telling you, Jesus has the keys that'll get you from earth to heaven. He also has the keys that'll get heaven down to earth. Notice what he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. I want you to do this. Why don't you put your your pens down just for a second, put your Bibles down, and I want you to hold your fist out in front of you just like this, okay? Clench your fist, all right, really tight. You know, the mentality and the spirit of the world is to live like this. Just hold on to your stuff. Look out for you. Get your stuff. I'm going to get all I can, and then I'm going to can all I get. Then I'm going to sit on the can. So nobody can get what I got. Right. The the mentality of the world is stingy. Hold on to it. Bind it up. And, you know, the truth is this. If you hold on to your stuff, it's true. You know, maybe nobody gets it. Nobody takes it from you. But watch this. If you live your life like this, you're in no position to receive what God wants to give you. Hold on to your stuff. Jesus said, whoever saves his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, notice the difference. If we live like this, we can't, God can't put anything into hands like this. Now, you may have your stuff. I worked hard to get my stuff, and nobody's going to take my stuff. But then God's saying, my, 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 You have bound it on earth, and so now I'm going to bind it up in heaven. But if you loose it, now let, let go. Let, let open up the palms of your hands. He says, but whatever you loose on earth... Are you with me? He says, I'm going to loose it in heaven. Jesus wants us to live life like this, open hands and open hearts. Here's the beautiful thing. When you live life like this, now all of a sudden you're in position to receive. And Jesus says, whatever you loose on earth, I'm going to loose in heaven. How many of you know that what he has up there is sufficient for what we need down here? Can I have a better amen? Amen. And so it's the keys. He said, there's a key. Jesus said, the one is, who's telling this to you is holy and true. I hold the keys and these keys will open doors. Let me ask you this. How many of you are believing God to open a door in your life? Some of you need God to open a door in your job. How many believing for a pay raise, a promotion, a bonus? Come on, nobody? Y'all don't want that stuff? Am I talking to anybody here? Believing for a pay rate? I see about six of my staff raising their hands Say, saying, yeah, I need a pay rate. I saw that, Brandon. I saw that. You say, yes, Lord. Glory to God. You believe, hey, quit trying to knock down doors that only God can open. He's saying, I've got a key. And if you have a key, you don't have to force your way. That key will unlock things. That key will give you access into areas that you never thought possible. How many of you have ever been in a situation, maybe you were in a meeting, and all these high-level executives, and you're sitting at the table, and you're thinking, how in the world did I end up here? Jesus gave you a key. it, It wasn't your skill or talent or ability that got you into that room. God opened the door. And I'm just believing. And when I read this again this week, and I thought, Lord, you hold the keys. You know what I was praying for this church? God, open doors for HPC. Lord, open doors for men and women that call this place home. God, I just believe that you give favor to people on their jobs. Favor is something that you don't always understand, that you can't always explain. It'll put you in rooms that you never thought possible. It'll put you at a table. You'll be making decisions and you think, Lord, how did I ever get here? And God says, I got some keys. Keys will give you access. Keys represent authority. Jesus is saying, hey, I've got all authority and now I'm giving you access. God's opening doors. I'm praying that God will open doors for you on your job. I'm praying that God will open doors for you in your finances. I'm believing God will open doors in some relationships. Some of you have been in a room locked away all by yourself. You've been isolated from others, and God's saying, it's time to come out. I've got a key to open some doors. I'm believing that. But guess what? God opens the door, but we have to take the step. When God opens a door, you got to walk through it. Just walk through the door. Just, you, you, again, don't try to understand it, but God give you the courage to step through that doorway. I don't know what's on the other side, but God does. And he's going to put a grace on your life to step into that room with boldness and with confidence. He'll open a door, but he's not going to walk through it. You've got to take the step. Jesus wrote this letter to the church at Philadelphia. He said, and I've given you keys. I know all the things that you do. I've opened a door for you that no one can close. Man can't close it. The devil can't close it. Demons can't close it. Whatever it is that it's opposing you, I don't know what's coming against you, but the power inside of you is greater than the opposition in front of you. He says, if I open a door, no man can shut it. Look at what it says, verse 8. He says, you have little strength. Somebody say little. little. How <laughs> many ever felt just so small? Oh, I got little strength. He says, you have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. The second thing I want you to write down is this. Number two, God doesn't need a lot to do a lot. God doesn't need a lot to do a lot. Some of you can identify with this church. You feel like you have little strength. This church felt small and insignificant, didn't have much influence in the city, was overrun by religious oppression, had been persecuted by by their, their Jewish brothers, yet it's the only church that still exists. Of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, this is the only church that still exists today. Their strength was little, but they obeyed with what little they had. Now let me ask you this, why do we devalue? What's little? Why do we treat what's little as insignificant? In fact, here's one of the thoughts. One of the thoughts that I had is this We devalue what's little because we know that we can't do much with what's little. And sometimes we view God through the same filter. Well, Lord, if I can't do much with little, then you can't do much with little. But I've discovered that God enjoys taking what's little and doing much. I think God delights in, in taking this, something little and insignificant and says, okay, watch what I'm about to do. I, I, I love that. Remember the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6? Gideon is, is hiding from the enemy. The Midianites were oppressing the Israelites, and, and Gideon was hiding in the bottom of a wine press, and an angel of the Lord shows up in Judges chapter 6 and says, Gideon, mighty hero, God is with you. <laughs> mighty hero? Are you kidding me? There's nothing heroic about Gideon. He's hiding. And Gideon's like, what are you talking about? Who are you talking to? If God is with us, what happened to all the miracles that our ancestors used to tell us of? And you know what? The angel of the Lord doesn't even answer his question. He says, go in the strength that you have, and God will give you the strength that you need. You see, Gideon didn't have much, but guess what? God doesn't need much. If you'll just give God little, he'll show up. You're missing this. You're you're not catching this. You're not catching this. You devalue the little strength that you have. But God says, if you'll just obey me in that strength, there's more where that came from. Now, 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 all of a sudden, Gideon, he takes what's little and he moves forward in that. And God brings deliverance to the Israelites through this insignificant weakness, the struggles of a man named Gideon. You see, God doesn't need a lot to do a lot. I think about, the, I think about the, the, the multitudes that Jesus was teaching on the hillside in Galilee. And in my mind, I can see thousands of people. The scripture said there were 5,000 men. How many of you know if Jesus is teaching and there are 5,000 men? There's probably 10,000 women. And if there's 10,000 women, there's probably 20,000 kids. So conceivably on that hill, 35,000 people gathered and the disciples are like, send them away. It's late. We're hungry. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. And they're like, really? With what? We don't have anything. Oh, Philip finds this little boy that has a bag of two fish and five loaves of bread, a little sack lunch. But he says, what is this? This is so insignificant. What good is this with a need that's so great? What does Jesus do? Come on, he doesn't need a lot to do a lot. Come on, somebody, you're missing this. Okay, just give it to me. Bring it to me. Sure, there are 35,000 people. There's only a a couple fish sticks here. You know, a little boy sack lunch. It's amazing to me how God took the one kid who didn't need a miracle. He didn't need it. He had his lunch. He was taken care of. The one kid who didn't need it and used that kid to supply it. And he took it and he blessed it and he broke it. And what happened? Man, they're giving out fish and chips, man. Everybody's eating, man. Everybody on the hill. And guess what? There's so much, so much. I mean, they keep reaching in the bag and there's more there. They give it, there's more there. They give it, there's more there. The more they give, the more that's there. What? Well, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. How much happened on the hillside that day? What was the outcome? They had so much left over. How many baskets did they take up? How many disciples were there? 12 disciples, it's almost like one basket for every disciple. Jesus is saying, my math is different than your math. See, listen, your math says two plus five equals seven. Two fish and five loaves is seven. If you're going to stay in your math, you're going to end up with seven. But in my math, two plus five equals 5,000 with 12 baskets left over. Can I have a better amen? Amen. God delights in taking what's little and saying, watch what I'm about to do. Oh, remember the widow who had her two mites. Remember that? Remember that in the synagogue that day and Jesus was watching as people were giving in the offering and then he leaned over and told his disciples "You see what that woman gave, see that little widow woman? She's given more. What? Are you kidding me? No, no, we've seen people drop in a lot of money in that bucket. She had one little copper coin, this widow's mite, and Jesus said, nope, out of her poverty. She has given everything. Listen, man counts offerings, but God makes offerings count. God says, I'll take that little. I have a way of taking that little. If you'll trust me with it, if you'll release what's in your hands, God says, I'll release what's in my hands. I I, I think God, he specializes in weakness and what man thinks is insignificant. So he can show up and show off. At the end of the day, whether it's feeding the 5,000, or, or, or whether it's Gideon, or whether it's walking on water, at the end of the day, we look back and say, man, that had to be God. That wasn't us. We know where our strength ends. Let me tell you this. Where your strength ends, God's strength begins. In fact, he said this, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. You know what's cool? We talk to God about our weakness. He talks to us about his strength. How many got a lot of weakness to talk about? God says, I got something to say about your weakness. It's called my strength. He says, you don't have much strength, but you've obeyed me with the strength that you have. Hear me, church. If you'll just take what little strength you have and offer it to the Lord, show up with your strength. God will show up with his strength. But you got to turn up. You got to show up. God, it's not much, but Lord, what I have, I'm giving it to you. And God says, thank you. Now I can do what I do best. Good measure, press down, shaken together and running over. Mm-mm-mm. Y'all not as happy as I am today. <laughs> I think it's the medicine. Uh, he says, look, I'll force verse nine. Look, I'll force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews, but they're not. I'll force them to come and bow down at your feet they will acknowledge that you are the ones that I love. And let me give you some context here. You know, because of the religious persecution and the Jews turned their nose up toward this Christian church, Many of you know the history of Jerusalem in 70 AD when the Romans conquered the city and they burned much of it to the ground. A lot of the Jews had fled. They became refugees. And so they left that region and they went all the way up into Asia Minor, into this very city of Philadelphia. And there they come in their brokenness and in their pain and in their need. And they realized that Jesus was the Messiah and embraced him and became a part of the church here in Philadelphia. He says, Listen, you. you You think they're your enemies, but I'll bring your enemies and I'll lay them right here at your feet. Doesn't the psalmist say that the Lord will make our enemies our footstool? Didn't he tell David in Psalm 23, I prepared a table before you in the very presence of your enemies. Uh, I I think God wants to bless some of you right in the middle of hostility. In the midst of the disapproval of those around you, God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to put faith. He told them, listen, they're going to come and they're going to put, I'm going to put them right there at your feet. And then they will know you are the ones that I love. Look at what it says in verse 10, because you have obeyed my commands to persevere. I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Now, this is a, let me pause right here quickly. I don't have time to teach on this today. But I do encourage you to read the next few chapters in the book of Revelation. He talks about the time of testing. I believe this is a direct reference to the tribulation period. Okay, we're talking end times now. He says, there is a time of testing that's going to come upon the whole world, but I will protect you from it. In chapters 5 and 6 and 7, you're going to read about the judgments that God is bringing to the earth during the tribulation period. He talks about the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments that were listed in the book of Daniel and also referenced in Revelation. He said, the time of testing is coming, but I will protect you. I believe this is an indication that Jesus is going to take the church out of the world and then the tribulation period will come. Now, I know that there's a lot of different opinions. And so I can't say that I'm right or somebody else is wrong. It's been debated for centuries. But I do believe and, and hear my heart on this church when it comes to the end times and when it comes to the tribulation period that is to come and it's coming, God doesn't want his church to be afraid. You do not have to live in fear. God will put his hand of protection upon his loved ones, those that name him. And so, in, in fact, if you consider end times, and again, I'm sorry, if kind of getting off into this, but I want you to consider just the timeline of human history. From the time of Adam to Noah is a thousand years. From the time of Noah to Abraham is another thousand years. From the time of Abraham to David is 1,000 years. And from the time of David to Christ is 1,000 years. That's 4,000 years. From the time of Christ to present day is 2,000 years. What is that? That's 6,000 years. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years a day. Six thousand years. Watch this. Six is the number of man. Seven is the number of completion. Jesus said, I'm coming and I will reign. The millennial reign is another thousand years. There's that seven. I'm telling you what, Jesus is coming back soon. He's coming back quickly. I, I, I don't know the day. I don't know the hour, but we can understand the times and the seasons. Can I have a good amen? He says this, verse 11, I am coming soon. Therefore hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown I'm gonna tell you what the devil is trying to take from you what Jesus died to give you and You've got to stand firm. You've got to hold fast. He says all who are victorious will become pillars somebody say "Pillars." pillars Will become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never have to leave it The third thing I want you to see is this number three be a pillar and not a post Be a pillar and not a post. You say, Mike, what are you talking about? How many of you know there's a difference between pillar and posts? You ever tried to remodel your house? You want to knock down a wall? You got to find out, wait a second, is this a weight-bearing wall? You see, a pillar is something that holds up the integrity of that structure. If that pillow, pillar is coming down, then the, the whole house is coming down. But if it's a post, a post can stand alone. A post doesn't hold any weight. You can take that wall down and the house won't fall down because it's simply, it's decorative. It's cosmetic. It can be moved. I believe God's wanting to set believers in his house as pillars that cannot be moved. Pillars that symbolize strength. Pillars that, that, that know how to hold support. Men and women who embrace responsibility. Can I have a good Amen. It's not about looking good, feeling good. It's not about cosmetics. It's about holding up structural support. Jesus said, you have little strength. Notice how he says you have little strength. But now in my temple, I will set you as a pillar and not a post. You see, if we take what little strength we have and we go in that, God says, I'll add strength to it and I will make you unmovable, unshakable. I'll be able to build some stuff on you. Now, all of a sudden, I can grow my kingdom because you're in the right place. Are you catching this today? Solomon built his temple. There were two pillars that he named. One pillar he, named, he put the name Boaz on that pillar and the other name he put the name Jacob. I mean, Jacob. Jacob means he will establish Boaz means in him is strength. God himself is the pillar that sets us in his temple for strength. He's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Can I have a good amen? Amen. When, When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says the veil was torn from top to bottom. I believe when God left, he tore that veil on his way out. But he said, there's coming a day when I'm setting up my temple, and it will never pass away. And I will establish it, Jacob. I will establish it, and I will bring strength to it, Boaz. And I will put you in place, and I will build my kingdom upon you. God says, be a pillar, not a post. Hmm. Let me finish this. Number Verse 12. He says, and I will write on them three names. The name of my God. There will be citizens in the city of my God the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven for my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Here's the final thought I want to give you, and then I want to close. Number four, our identity is found in him. He says, I'm going to write three names on you. One of them will be the name of my God. You know when God puts his name on something, you know what it says? says, ownership. He takes possession of it. He puts his name to it. In fact, I love the scripture in Psalm 138 verse 2. All the promises of God are backed by the honor of his name. He literally writes his name to that promise. That promise is good because I put my name to it. It belongs to me. When God puts his name on something, it's a sign of ownership. He says, I'm going to put the The name of God on them. He says, I'm going to put the name of the new city, the holy city, the new Jerusalem upon them. And then he says, I'm going to put the new name of Christ. Now, why would he say the new name of Christ? Why would he say the new name? Remember when when God first came to earth, he spoke in the form of an angel to Mary. In a few weeks, we're going to celebrate the the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What do the angels say to Mary? The power of the Holy Spirit is going to place something on the inside of you. You're going to give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus literally means salvation. Jesus, say. We refer to him as Jesus. Why? Because he's our Lord and Savior. See, that name represents his function. His purpose on the earth was to save us. But guess what? When we get to heaven, we won't need to be saved. We already are saved. What Jesus did for us here on earth, we said yes to. Salvation came to us through him. But in heaven, we won't refer to him as Jesus because we won't need to be saved. You say, Mike, what are we going to refer to him as? I don't know. (laughs) Sorry. I know some of you are like, man, tell me that name. (laughs) I don't know. Email Perry Stone. He may know the name. I don't know. Don't have that knowledge. But it's a glorious name that we can't comprehend here on earth. His function and our relationship to him in heaven will be different than here on earth. But he says, the new name of Christ I will write upon you. At the end of the day, our identity It's not in what we've achieved, what we've accomplished, what we've done, our level of education, our income, our history, none of that. All the stuff that we identify ourselves with here on earth, gone. God says, I'm putting a new name on them, and it's the new name of my son. Now, I don't know what that name is, but I just know this. I'm going to be proud to bear that name. I'm going to be grateful for that name. I pray that when God looks at me, he doesn't look at me for me, but he just sees the name of his son. Lord, when you look at me, let it, be, let it be Jesus. When it's all said and done, may the fingerprints of Jesus Christ be the only thing that people see. Can I have a good amen?